0: Welcome back to the Fact Broadcast. This is Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique. And today's quick episode comes by request from a doctor in Milwaukee. Um, there recently was a news article how a gentleman found out that his DNA actually belonged to a man 5,000 miles away. Now, it hit the news, it was scientifically verified, and this gentleman had a bone marrow transplant for a medical condition, and um, when they later scraped his cheeks and checked his DNA, he turned out to have the DNA of the donor. Now, that's pretty scary. And, uh, of course, the, everyone's freaking out, All oh, this is weird, there's a mistake, how does this happen? And I kind of giggled to myself and I'm like, I've been talking about this since the 1980s, since I worked at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. I was a student helping out in genetics labs, doing that stuff. I mean, come on, this is this is just silly. Um, we understand a lot more about genetics than we have in just the last 5, 10 years. So this should be no shock to anyone. And I've always talked about... Uh, when it came to, say, the vaccination controversy, yes, vaccines to prevent childhood illness, inoculations, that I'm not so worried about some of the big things that people talk about, the aluminum in it, the mercury, ooh, the mercury. I was never really that, you know, upset about it. Mercury's fun with, you know, everyone's played with Quicksilver. You know, it it splashes, it moves through your hands pretty cool. Yeah, maybe I'll have a little dementia later and some peripheral neuropathy, Maybe my brain will slow down so I can pace myself with everyone else. I don't know. But, uh, you know, playing with mercury and all that, we know it's a neurotoxin. We know aluminum is a neurotoxin. And I'm not getting into the debate right now in this episode whether, you know, the amount is good or bad. But I always worried about foreign genetic material. I kept saying that we shouldn't have foreign genetic material. When you make a vaccine, you, you know, if you're making a vaccine you the the theory is you have a you break up a bug a flu virus um, a virus sorry a virus some type of vector some type of uh, pathogen you break it up and you put it into the body in an amount that doesn't cause the disease but causes an immune reaction so you can take a picture of that bug and next time it comes around and it's wild type it's wild form when you get it naturally you'll be able to fight it off that's the theory at least And, of course, the bug they give you is not the same. They uh, break it up. Sometimes they don't even get the right glycoproteins. Um, You know, a lot of it's guesswork. I think uh, today's flu virus, as I speak, in 2019 is only 3% effective. And if I do my statistics right on the uh, report, um, that's within the standard of deviation, standard of error, error for 0%. So I'm like, are you kidding me? Um, people aren't that much of lemmings and they, they see something that, you know, um, as BS, don't they? I don't know. But anyway, back to this, where I've always talked about transponents. Those are jumping genes. Yes. Jump, jump, jumping genes. Um, we all know that um, Barbara was at McClock Clintlock? Clintlock, I think it was McClintlock. back in the 1940s around um, uh, World War II. Um, big push for uh, genetic modification of crops so they could sustain growth, you hybridized. Um, after War II, you know, we need food, we need food, you know, water and food are like our limiting resources on this earth. So let's make sure we have corn um, that can survive about anything. And what uh, Professor Barbara did is notice that that some of the DNA on the corn really we thought didn't do anything. <laughs> And for decades, and I'm not kidding, it was called junk DNA, junk DNA by all the experts. I mean, you know, them, the experts that tell us this is right, this is wrong, and every five years they get it completely wrong, and then they don't apologize to us, don't fix us, there's no amends being made. We're supposed to just forget that they were the experts and they're completely wrong every day. It's like being a weatherman here in Minnesota. But anyway, she noticed that these, uh, these transportable elements these pieces of dna would move back and forth now what that does is help with adaptability and evolution and natural selection and even though we have the same stranded dna it changes how it's read some of this dna will flip it will move it will even jump a flipping chromosome. I'm not kidding. It's amazing. So a piece of genetic material, information, programming, instructions, if you will, instructions will jump from one chromosome to another and have it do that and do have that chromosome do something else. That's amazing. I mean, you should be freaked out. This isn't Star Trek, Star Wars. This is how it works. Now, we we've really, like, done a lot of good genetic... Um, work, genetic science, genetic engineering, figuring out how these transposons work. Um, So they're used for modifying things, creating things, changing things. So yeah, you have movable pieces of information. What we're learning is that RNA, DNA, pieces of genetic material are just floating around instructions and they can jump to where they need to. And if they could jump, they can be inserted. Enter genetic gene therapy. Gene therapy, the biggest thing. The goal of gene therapy is you have some cancer or something, we rip out all your bone marrow. That's what a bone marrow transplant's for. And the reason this gentleman 5,000 miles away got a bone marrow transplant is they didn't want to use his own bone marrow because it was expressing cancer or whatever he had. So they used someone else's who didn't have cancer. That makes sense. That matched. Well, what if we could take out your bone marrow, take out some of your DNA, use something to go in and find that place on the chromosome or chromosomes and clip out um, that bad DNA, that bad instructions, and throw in a piece of transposon, some uh, uh, jumping genes, throw it in there. It's not junk genes. It is you and have it read correctly. Wow. And that is what gene therapy is all about. They're trying to find out where Where to clip it? Do we have to replace it? Yes, it's just like Jurassic Park people, you know, where they filled in the missing pieces of DNA with frog DNA. (laughs) and Kind of screwed up, didn't they? But I don't think you have to do that much manipulation. I don't think you have to have a big fancy lab um, where you're doing all these things. Now, of course, they're going to be doing that. But I think that DNA is stronger and more receptive to a change than we think. Let's go to, I don't know, if you hunt in Wisconsin or Minnesota, we're worried about deer wasting disease. It's a prion disease. These are little pieces of genetic material that float around in our bloodstream. And they insert ourselves in the DNA until, you know, the central nervous system basically turned to, I don't know, jelly, liquid. It's horrible. Humans get a form of it too. So and and why isn't it expressed right away? Something has to trigger it. So what we're learning that, you know, how will we fix this? Well, now they're actually attacking certain diseases. They're re-engineering the AIDS virus, right, to attack um, certain uh, diseases, immune system diseases. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. So you pop out it and you use what's called a vector, and that's what they call these viruses they can insert its own dna into our dna and chain or at least into the cell and tell the cell to do something else sometimes all you need is that piece of dna that tells our dna what to do you know it's like having you know three cooks in the kitchen the biggest cook wins you don't have to go in the kitchen you just yell and scream from the outside and that's kind of how prion disease works outside of the nuclear the nucleus of the cell i should say it's already in the cell it gets incorporated in the cell fred what does this all have to do with vaccines and all that well if you're going to have a human disease say measles say mumps say rubella they raise it on human genetic material human tissue it's usually fetal or embryonic tissue and then you take that you know virus you attenuate it you bust it up you know, you have to use some uh, uh, processing. You got to use some additives. You know, like I don't know windshield wiper fluid and mercury and aluminum and a few things to use as a stabilizer and uh, keep you know keep the material patent, or just turns into protein. It just goes into dust, basically protein, amino acids. So they take those. They want to hold the structure, the pieces of the structure that of the attenuated, broken up, pieced up virus. Um, for the vaccine. So, and then they inject that in you, but there's still free floating DNA and it's right in the package inserts of the vaccine. Read the package inserts. It's right in there that you're getting some genetic material from someone else, not your family, not you. You know, sometimes it's from um, a selectively aborted fetus that was done in the, that was, that occurred in 1960s. And that's what, you know, some of these uh, fetal tissue samples are. And we won't go into that. There's no time to go into different fetal tissue samples, like MRC5. Um, so you know that was from a 14-week-old um, um, baby or fetus or embryo. I'm not getting into the the craziness on both sides of the vaccine debate. but I'm just saying that's what it's from. From you know 40 years ago, we're using we're still using the lung lining tissue, the lung tissue of that, um, of that being and uh, raising cultures of different pathogens on it. And this all sounds like, you know, you know, Dr. Frankenstein, but, you know, basically this is genetics. And uh, so we can keep those culture lines alive. But that is human genetic material from someone else. It's not you. It's not your family. And perhaps some of that DNA gets incorporated. Because we never thought that free-floating DNA would do anything on RNA. Now we have prions, which is less. Um, we never thought that you know you can insert, you know, transposons could insert um, foreign DNA into the cell. Well, we have viral um, macro uh, bacterial phages called a phage. These phages um, actually will clip on to you know. Um, plant cells, but we can get them onto bacteria cells, and they were infected bacteria. We know and in, insert their their genetic material into the genetic material of the bacteria. Well, that's what we knew in the 90s and 2000s. What we're learning now is that some of this material can be inserted all over. You know, you get these jumping things, the whole thing with the uh, the respiratory virus, you know, the some of these swine flus. It affected pigs, but it jumped species, you know the uh, bird flu, you know, that was so prevalent in Turkey. Well, it jumped species because it changed on the outside and incorporated some genetic material into the cell. It changed. So I've always thought, why would you want to inject free-floating DNA strands from somewhere else, someplace else, right? And think that that DNA, which is information to the human body, it's a code, it's instructions, it's an instruction manual with feet on it, why would you take chances to see if it would be incorporated? Now, of course, your gene uh, therapy scientists today, today say, well, that won't happen. Maybe we'll have an immune response. But they keep going through and I'm like, well, wait a minute. You know, 20 years ago, you told me it was impossible to, to, you know, insert foreign DNA into a mammal now we're playing around with how to do it and we're doing it actually and I'm like okay so you're telling me that it's safe today what are you gonna tell me 20 years ago if it's not safe and I don't know if you watched enough science fiction stories but you can see how some of these things these mutations occur so so the whole idea that this one human's DNA was completely replaced or and he's starting to express skin tissue, cheek tissue, DNA of someone else is because his DNA was replaced. Now, luckily, you know, luckily, hopefully, it, it was a match. But we're always learning uh, new things about genetics and how this wonderful thing called the human body works. Um, even bacteria. I mean, if you look at bacteria, we thought we'd produce antibiotics, right? An antibiotics would wipe them out. Either the antibiotics would prevent the the bacteria and the bugs from replicating or it would destroy them outright, you know, get through their slime layer and their cell membrane. We don't have that slime layer. Well, what we found is that the antibiotics adapted. How do they adapt? They actually changed some of their DNA because they had plasmids. Plasmids is circular DNA, and circular DNA can replicate without chromosomes oh wow and they were discovered you know 60 70 years ago 50s 1950s but these plasmids can be thrown into a cell and change the cell and how it functions well what if a plasmid can be incorporated into a cell we're doing that now we're playing with that now um and if can it be go into an amphibian? Can it go into a mammal? How can it genetically change things? We we may not even have to get into playing with the DNA structure itself. If you can, you know, throw a plasmid in, and that will change some of the the functions. Plasmid is like that, you know, that extra piece, that extra. Um, Material in there that has more instructions that's just floating around. I'm like, wait a minute, Fred, it's not DNA wrapped up on a chromosome and read by histone proteins. No, the plasmids just go in and change things as they are. Um, You know, we still don't see it working on monkeys and humans yet. But, uh, you know, you know, when I was at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County, You know, we didn't think we could manipulate, we do now. I mean, we were going after fetal stem cells, and now you can go to an orthopedic clinic. I go to my orthopedic clinic to have my shoulder looked on after rotator cuff surgery, and there's brochures. There's a poster in the room, you know, advertising for stem cell therapy, where they go in, either they pull your fat, manipulate it, or they go into your hip pull out some of your own cells, spin them down, and inject your shoulder or whatever knee joint with your own stem cells so you can heal. I mean, we're already doing genetic modifications now and learning. We never thought that that was possible when they would work. And now it's like mainstream, Um, you know, if you got five or 10 grand, because insurance won't pay for things that work. So anyway, um, I hope this answers Dr. Tammy and Milwaukee's question about, you know, what the heck is going on here? And I've been, if you remember from my uh, neurodiplomate, from me teaching clinical neurology to these graduate doctors, um, I've been talking about gene jumping, and that's the things we have to worry about with any type of medicine, any type of gene theory. What are we manipulating? And if we don't know what those instructions say exactly, maybe we shouldn't hand it to it. It's kind of like, You know, your body's just going to follow suit. Your DNA's going to follow suit with whatever it gets. Say you have a very good co-worker, and we have a new machine. You hand them the instructions, and either it doesn't work or they break the machine. Oh, no, I hand you the manual for the last version of the machine or a different version. Oops. And hopefully it's not you or your friends or family that gets the oops. So something to think about when we're playing around with genetic material Haphazardly, you know are you getting your own genetic material like some of this stem cell stuff? Sounds fantastic if you're getting your own, but what if your own is terrible and sucks? what if it has cancer on it? then you know you're going to get cancer, so you want to make sh- we ha- we have to have long conversations yet on you know stem cell therapy, how it works, just because it 's your stem cell Is it good to be injecting that area? Maybe it is, maybe it's not um so that's, we need a little more research, I think. And I think the jury's out with uh, playing around with this genetic material, even though there's a large body of scientists to say this works, this works, because we're preventing this disease or that disease. Maybe, maybe are we creating others on the other side because we still don't understand how the immune system works. And being a scientist or studying the philosophy of biology, you have to ask those questions. And if the questions aren't, answered yet, then we have to make informed choices as to the therapy or medicines or interventions I choose for me or my family. And again, my disclaimer, this is not, this podcast is not meant for medical advice. It's information only. If your physiology is jacked, Please see your medical doctor, your osteopath, your chiropractor, your nurse practitioner, your naturopath, your certified midwife. Go see someone who can walk you through. Get a coach, please. We all need coaches. You can't do it over the internet. You're not qualified. Thank you for listening to this FACT Podcast.